Hi, and welcome to Neon Peak. My name is Haley Obright, and I'm your host. I'm an event professional, a health and wellness junkie, and a self-proclaimed boss babe. In just five years, I helped quadruple the growth of the events agency I work for, was named the emerging industry leader in Canada, became a part-time professor, got engaged to the love of my life, started a blog and podcast, and did it all while hitting my health and fitness goals. Now I want to share out all my tips and tricks on how you can also lead an energizing life that's fulfilling and takes you to your peak state. Think of me as your new friend, the one who pushes you, tells you the truth, and doesn't let you give up on yourself. I also have a pretty open door policy, so you never know which guests may end up in the seat beside me. If you want more content like this, make sure to visit neonpeak.ca and of course, subscribe to this podcast. All right, we are recording episode 13 today, and I am very excited to bring you a special guest. I know I've said this uh, many times before when I have a guest on, but today uh, we have just a phenomenal guest with us. We have Allison Coville. She is a Canadian retail leader and former president of the Hudson's Bay. Having held various senior executive roles over 20 years at HBC, she was an integral part of the revitalization and growth of this iconic brand. Drawing on her extensive experience in merchandising, marketing, store operations, and financial expertise, Allison brings strategic oversight and insights that benefit the bottom line. In a highly competitive and ever-changing industry, she has done it all with a strong sense of urgency balanced with a long-term view of where the business is going. Allison's greatest joy comes from her wonderful children and husband and the success each of them has had while being her biggest fans. Hi, Allison. How are you today? Hi, Haley. I'm great. Thanks for having me and for the introduction. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much for being with us. I know I'm excited. I know the Neon Peak listeners are excited. So is this your first podcast uh, that you've yeah. ever been on? I have to admit, yes, it is. And, you know, um, it's not like I haven't spoken in front of thousands of people in my career and done intimate interviews, but uh, never have I done a podcast. So um, it's exciting. Thank you for being my first. No problem. And I am just thrilled that I can teach you something new after you've, I mean, all the amazing things that you've done in your career. It's, it's a pleasure to be able to show you uh, how these podcasts work. <laughs> but um, yeah, but yeah I, you know, I think, uh, the Neon Peak listeners, they're go-getters, they're out there, they're, you know, really trying to get their careers to take off, they're, they're hard workers, and, uh, you know, we really admire what you've done, and, and we just have so many questions for you, and, and to, you know, hopefully get some insights and inspiration to continue to fulfill our own dreams and our own career paths. Okay, great. Go ahead. So... I think we should just start right from the beginning. Um, did you always know that you wanted to work for the Hudson's Bay or did you land there by chance? Well, you know, I knew early on in my uh, life, really, even as a teenager, my first part-time job uh, was in retail. And right from the very beginning, almost my first shift, I just loved the interaction with the customer, giving them suggestions, helping them. And I think, you know, just always the thrill of new product coming in. I was always the first one to open up the boxes and see what was coming. And then the creativity, even as a part-time student, I wanted to fluff up the, you know, the merchandise in the counters and on the racks. And I loved touching the product. So um, that was uh, at Eaton's 
a lot of your listeners may not remember that. Their parents will, for sure. Um, it was a pretty iconic department store as well. And uh, so I started my career there after school. I, you know, I worked there part-time all through school. And then I um, got on the management training program. And I actually stayed there for almost as long as I was at Hudson's Bay, if you take my part-time years, because I, you know, I was probably 10 years uh, growing as an executive um, in various positions. And when uh, Eaton's closed in 1999, I had made it to... Uh, you know, a vice president role. I was a general merchandise manager there running some big categories. Um, and unfortunately, the business failed. And but right away, I was recruited by Hudson's Bay uh, and went over there to join the team at the same level uh, as a general merchandise manager, which was a bit surreal, considering I spent my whole career looking at Hudson's Bay as the big bad competitor, yeah. uh, watching them closely to see how we could beat them and win. And then all of a sudden, uh, where I thought I would probably retire from Eaton's, like everyone did. Um, here I was sitting in my competitor. So that's how I ended up at Hudson's Bay. Wow, that's amazing. And it's I'm, I always admire people that seem to really know what they want so early on. And it's it's uh, I think it's really a gift what that sometimes you know some people have that they really just they click with something so early on. And you know the other question I have because you had that gift because you knew that hey, this is really where I want to be. Did you actually at, at that point think that you wanted to be president? When did that idea even yeah. come up for you? Because that's a such a lofty goal to think about when you're starting your career. It is. It is. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. The, the answer is no. I, you know what? Look, I knew I was talented. I had a lot of passion for the business. Um, I'd had tremendous successes. Uh, everything I sort of took on or roles I, I was presented with, um, I did well. And, um, you know, and I think I learned early on that I, you know, kind of thrive in chaos, which is retail. So that always stood out that I was able to sort of take on any challenge and, and move forward with it. And, I, you know, high pressure situations didn't really, you know, bother me. I actually loved it. Um, so I think that, um, you know, to say that I had my sights set on as being president, no, but I think I was, you know, I was pretty happy when I got to senior vice president role and I was, you know, felt like I was probably the most senior uh, seasoned executive in Canada. As you know, a lot of our executive and C-suite was uh, in New York and in the U.S. So I was having a pretty good time, actually, um, at that level. But, um, you know, I think that whether it's goals or whether you thought you were going to be president, I can remember very early thinking, boy, if I could be a store manager, wouldn't that? be, awesome. <laughs> you know, living in your community, running a whole store, you know, having, you know, people reporting to you. I thought that was going to be awesome. Have enough money to buy a small house. And, and then, you know what, you get there and then you think about the next goal. So I think it was more a progression than really uh, having my sights set on being president. I love that because I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to think that we have to know what we want right now, but maybe it's that we just know the next two to five steps that we want to take. doesn't have to be the next hundred. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I also hear a lot of uh, women, because a lot of my friends are women, <laughs> a lot of my, my friends say that at this stage in their life, they're like, I just don't know if I ever really want to get to the C-suite. I don't know if I actually want to be an executive because I I would hate to lose my life balance. Um, there seems to be that fear. Right. What would you say to those women? 
or men or men if they're tuned in i mean i think it's everyone and especially in this new uh, world we're all living in uh, under this pandemic and isolation i think it's given everyone a chance to sort of step back and say boy do i have the life balance that i want and is there an opportunity to pivot or do something different and, and think about my life i think um, but I will tell you, Haley, that it is probably the number one question I get asked when I'm mentoring uh, young women, especially, and, uh, you know, or, or talking in, in large groups, always somebody puts their hand up and asks, how did you do it with, you know, four kids and, and working? Um, and I, I always say this, you know, balance is a really interesting word, because we, if we think about it, you know, for many of us, it conjures up these scales that are, you know, uh, evenly weighted and that's all about balance and, and sometimes they tip and sometimes they move but you know overall we're looking for that balance and I would say that until you get your head around the fact that balance needs to be uh, for you that you feel like you're giving enough of your time to all the things that you love and you can't necessarily you have to prioritize the things that you love and where you want to spend your time so sometimes I would think okay for the next week a hundred percent of my time has to be at work and to me that was giving myself permission to go there and then I also knew then I had to balance those scales and maybe it meant I had to spend two or three days and take my kids away and be really focused on them for a weekend um, but that's to me where balance comes from it, it, it's not necessarily evenly split it's going to be times that you're going to be a hundred percent in one court and the next minute you're going to be you know 90 percent somewhere else and and I think the other real lesson is that nobody's going to give you permission to put balance back into your life. I really learned that early on. No one's going to say, oh, don't worry. Don't come to the meeting. Oh, don't worry. Don't work all weekend. You have to be the one that says, no, you know what? Here's, here's my boundaries and here's what I'm comfortable with. And I remember, you know, it was probably motherhood that really enforced that because I, I had to be able to put my hand up and say, I know Mr. President at the time, um, you know, you love to have these seven o'clock meetings, but unfortunately I can't do it. I can't drop my daughter at daycare that early and I can't get to the office by seven o'clock. So, you know, I can come for seven thirty. I can come for eight. I was terrified. But next thing I knew, you know, I would hear the executive assistants in the building saying to people, if you want Allison in a meeting, don't schedule it before eight thirty. And then people would go, Oh, Okay, fine, let me make it nine o'clock, we're fine. So I really learned that, you know, you have to push back. And if you do, sometimes they're not going to like it for sure, but you have to be okay with that and set, set the boundaries for yourself. That's really. so great. It's great to hear. And I think that's going to help people to hear you say that. There's definitely that fear and feeling like, okay, I'm just going to accommodate everybody else. But over mm -hmm. the years that, that can become, you know, a bit draining and a bit tough. The, the yes. other question I had was you were able to set the boundaries at work, um, but you do mention that your family was huge cheerleaders for you and so supportive. How did you manage uh, with their expectations? And of course, they want your attention. They love you. So how did yes. how, we talk so much about setting boundaries at work? How do we how do we do it at home? Well, I would say, firstly, put your phone down, um, you know. Uh, being truly present it's amazing it's not necessarily about quantity it's about quality and I, you know we all see it we see it in commercials we talk about it but I really did live that 
so that when I was home, I was really here uh, for my kids and for my husband. Um, and I was okay with checking my phone when I came in the door and then not looking at it again until, you know, maybe just before I went to bed or first thing in the morning. Um, and again, it's a hard thing to do, but you have to really decide what are the things that are going to be your priority back to the balance. And if you want to feel like you're balanced. And I also told myself that, you know what, I'm not going to miss any big events. Uh, you know, there's only so many. It, it doesn't have to be constant, but if it's the school play, if it's some, you know, parent-teacher conference, there's not that many. And I think it's okay to be able to to say to your boss or your organization, this is really important to me. And I think that helped in how people looked at me. They saw me authentic and real and somebody who was prepared to maybe sacrifice. Okay, well, if I'm not going to get a promotion, maybe I'm going to be okay with that because... I love what I do, but I, I need to love my family too. Um, now, does that mean that I didn't go on spa weekends with my girlfriends? Yeah. You know, you have to sacrifice something. Um, you can't necessarily have it all. Um, but again, I was okay with that because I made those choices. Um, that's, that's great. I, I really like that. Um, looking back now, again, as I mentioned, the Neon Peak listeners, they're young professionals, they're making their way into these more management roles, you know, they're not so junior anymore. When you think back to those earlier days at the Bay, was there anyone that really helped you along your way or any moment that you just really reflect on? You're like, wow, that was kind of the turning point for me of, of projecting my career forward. You know, I would say, Haley, that I, I, I had pretty organic um, mentorship sort of uh, relationships or opportunities all through my career. Um, and so many of them were men. Most of them actually, uh, there were women who supported me. Um, and so I think, you know, the propelling of my career probably came more from, you know, uh, those mentors helping me through those moments of, you know, how to be successful. How do I need to show up? Uh, what work do I need to do? And and I spent, I was lucky enough that, you know, the organizations I work for really value culture and leadership. And so I had a lot of opportunities to to work on my leadership and, and see where my strengths were. Um, and so I think that really listening to your inner self and knowing, you know, these are the things that you're not showing up that great. You need to fix that and, and people will notice it. And, and then that's, I think, how you kind of, uh, get noticed and move to the to the next level. Um, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily a big prescriber of um, you know sort of uh, these mentor programs that you see in organizations. And we talk a lot about about mentorship. You know, I, I really do believe that the person who wants to be mentored has to own that relationship. And I see too often you set up these mentorship par partnerships and they fall apart because I don't think there's enough of a commitment on the person's behalf who's, you know, wanting to be mentored um, to really know what they're trying to get out of it and to seek that. So I would say, you know, look for somebody in your organization who you feel uh, you would love to emulate, who has a lot of the values or is in the position you'd like to get to and, and build those sort of organic relationships. Um, and that said, I mean, I'm also, though, a big believer in, you know, sort of mentorship, leadership, you know, organizations, um, where that, again, helps bring networking together. And I think that's something very different. I think networking is another really big opportunity uh, for women that, quite frankly, we don't do very well. And so I hope your generation 
um, sees that and does more of it because I think that will help you. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I know my sister is going to be listening in. She uh, she works for an organization and she felt the same way about the mentorship that you said. She's like, I'm just not jiving with it. I'm being put with somebody that I don't know right. if we have the right. Do they see something in me? Do I see something in them? Does it make sense? Is it the right use of time for both of us? So I think even just you saying that and, and, and confirming, hey, if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. It might it needs to feel a bit more authentic and, and genuine for you. Yeah. And I think you'll get more out of it uh, for sure. And, and that's just relationships in general. And then, you know, really just to reiterate the networking piece, look, you know, um, for the men out there listening, if they are, you know, they've had a bit of an advantage because, you know, our culture is really about, they start networking at four. They're on, you know, sports teams and they're, you know, slapping each other on the back and making times to, you know, get together. And our fathers did it on the golf courses. And it's, it's just really part of a, a male culture, which is great. And women, you know, I think we tend to value less relationships, but deeper ones. So we look for those friendships and, and the people that we believe. And that's part of the mentoring and, you know, getting value out of that. We see that. But sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we you need to have this broader network who can help you because, you know, you need that kind of diversity. You need people who are outside of your culture or outside of your organization uh, to help you think and see things differently. So I really encourage you to sort of lift your head up from who your circle is today and, and pinpoint some people that you really like to have in your network and, and work on that. Um, those would be two things for sure. Absolutely. I I completely agree. And I was raised by a very confident, uh, tenacious woman. (laughs) So I definitely had the, the gift of learning how to speak to people early on. But some days I would still consider myself a little bit introverted as much as I'm an extrovert. I think you get older, you kind of need to preserve that energy. And, you know, as we're talking about networking and other ways to go about it, podcasting itself has actually been a great outlet for me to network because I never wanted to take someone's time. I never wanted to just go up and and have nothing to give them or nothing to talk to them about. So I started podcasting and that was my outlet for networking and it made it feel really genuine and and really great on both sides. So I feel good about it. And I think that's one thing people, they don't feel good about the networking. They're like, but I don't, what am I giving this other person? Why would they want it? What are we talking about? So uh, I would also encourage people find maybe a different way to network if, if you're struggling with the conventional box that it exists in sometimes. Right, exactly. And I think, I think you're right. And I, I was not very good at it, I admit. And now I found myself obviously in this new stage in my life where, you know, I really did want to start to look at other opportunities and what was the sort of the next adventure going to be. And, and I realized that's when it really hit me, boy, you know, um, I haven't been very good at this networking, but I will say um, I was overwhelmed by the generosity of people. So don't be afraid. I was like probably many of you listeners who thought, can you imagine what do they care if I reach out and why, you know, that they're so busy. I know what I was like when I was busy and, but then when people would reach out and, and say, you know what, could you have 15 minutes? Can I come to your office? Can we have a coffee? I, I would make time for that. I would think, you know what, good for you. So people are generous, so don't be afraid to, to reach out and, and yes. uh, whether it's the traditional LinkedIn's of the world. You know, I wasn't even on LinkedIn until I left. 
Hudson's Bay. I just, you know. <laughs> I guess you didn't really need it. <laughs> I didn't really need it, I guess. I thought, oh, that's just one more thing I have to manage. I'm not doing it. Yeah, so that's even new for me. Podcasts and LinkedIn, yeah. it's all, all new. The, the rule that I follow is let somebody else decide no for themselves. Don't decide no for other people. That's right. Exactly. No, that's a, it's a good rule for sure. Um, the other thing I want to know, you would have had so many reviews from your managers, performance reviews, sometimes two, three times a year. What do you think your greatest strengths were? What was standing out about you that you were hearing or you just know about yourself that really made you stand out among your peers to get you to where, you know, you ended up? You know, I, you do get asked that question a lot. And even for myself, I had, I had to really think about that as I started to look at new opportunities and what I wanted to do next. And I, I would say the consistent uh, number one thing was that I really lead my team strategically, even in my youngest uh, and most junior roles, the people around me, I had this uh, ability to really look at the big picture um, and anticipate various scenarios and, and, you know, really look around the corner and be able to feel what was coming our way. Um, you know, and, uh, so whether that was a really keen intuition that I trusted, um, I think that was a big part of it. I think, you know, in some cases you're born with that. Um, but then I also loved data. So, you know, in many cases, people will refer to the left brain, right brain. So, I, you know, I was creative. I loved the arts. I loved um, creating things. But I also had this very analytical mind where I, I loved to look at data and discover, you know, you know, opportunities in the information that was given. So I think the combination of that, being able to sort of be strategic and lead and then use that intuition to make decisions, but then come back with the data. You know, people will tell you, I would often say, and I, I didn't make up this quote, I, I heard it in the 80s, but, um, you know, I would say, in God we trust, everybody else bring facts. <laughs> and and so <laughs> if you think about that you know like you don't have to have all the answers use your intuition and know look you might only have 10% of the answer use that to make a decision but act and I think moving quickly especially in this day where we are now um, you know pivot do something very quickly but then keep collecting the facts and then when you have more you know sort of succinct answers um, replace the intuition with the facts and then move on you know like you you don't have to have all the answers and I think that was part of uh really what got me there I do and I do think you know at the end of the day I was probably born uh you, you see that on report cards you know Allison's a born leader you know I was probably bossing my kindergarten classmates around um they thought they better say something about that my mom probably read between the lines saying you know stop bossing people um <laughs> But I did. I but I did that um, with confidence. I think um, because I liked, you know, being around people. I felt confidence um, to do that. But I I also did it with humor, and I was, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty authentic. I'm, you know, I look at myself as somebody, and that's a word, you know, now it's kind of on the almost do not use that word any longer. It's been overused. But I do. It really does describe, you know, being an authentic leader, having empathy you know, being one of the people while you're leading is really important, especially in times of crisis like today. So I, I would say that was, you know, those were the things that really propelled me. Um, the other advice I would give you, you know, people want to know how, how did you get ahead? How did you get to the next level and the next job and the next job? I counsel 
individuals to tell them, you know what, if you want the next job, act like you have it already. Don't ask, don't wait to be asked to do projects. Don't wait, you know, until somebody tells you what your next job is or what they need you to do. Anticipate what that looks like. And I think I was always acting like I had the next job so that when the time came, you know, whether it was my boss moving on, they would say, look, when I'm not here, Allison's doing the work. She's the one that's anticipating my every need. I never have to worry that a ball is dropped. Um, and so when there was an opening, it was pretty obvious that I should be the one to sort of step in. Um, so I really say that, like, really think about what you're doing every day. Don't necessarily focus on, I want to be, you know, the next vice president, or I want to be president and build that out. Really, what do I need to do to look like I'm doing the next level. I love that. Not waiting and just owning it and and uh, expecting anything in return right from the get-go, but having that passion to go for it. And I can definitely attest to your, uh, you being very empathetic and being a a, definitely a people person, because when I first met you, we met once before this interaction. And uh, of course, you're a little bit intimidated when you hear you're meeting the the former president of the Hudson's Bay. Uh, I'm not. Sh- you might know you're 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 intimidating just by that title. But then I met you, and you were just so easy to talk to, and and you've been that way through every interaction I've had with you. So I'm sure you know your teams in the past have really appreciated that about you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting thing. And again, for the women out there, it's um, you know. For whatever reason, I don't think I'm intimidating and I don't think that, you know, I think my first persona is, you know what, I'm funny and I'm always smiling and I'm happy. And then I hear later people say, oh, I walked in the room and I was like terrified. Um, (laughs) And I'm thinking, why? And, you know, even when my kids were little, I'll tell you that the daycare workers, one of them I became so closer with and friends. And she told me later that like if one of the kids were sick, they'd huddle around and they'd say, who's going to call the mom? And then they'd say, no, you know what? Phone the dad. And then I'd always wonder, like, why does daycare phone my husband every time the kids are sick? And I felt like it just, I only walked in and dropped my baby off. Uh, and they were intimidated. So I don't know. So I've worked on that, too. That's been something. It's like, I don't know. i got to figure out how to be fluffier or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I, th- I think you can be as, as kind and soft as I know you already are. But knowing that you've had the positions that you've had, it it says, you know, in your title alone, there's so many assumptions of you being a very strong, confident, intelligent, uh, smart person. And I think people just want to show you a lot of respect and, uh, and appreciate you for that. So that might be where the intimidation's coming from. And <laughs> you know what? It's good. Call the husband. I like Call that. The husband. <laughs> yeah, really. I don't need another task. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. I want to go to the moment that you actually became president of the Hudson's Bay. Now, maybe this was something that you kind of knew over time was happening, but just were you surprised? Were you nervous? Do you like remember how you felt when this happened? Um, I do because um, we were going through a pretty aggressive restructure at Hudson's Bay. And for those who remember, we were uh, at that time, we had one uh, president, one thought leadership across New York and, uh, and Canada across the US um, and so there was one president and uh, running both banners, Hudson's Bay and Borden Taylor in the US. And at that time I was the senior vice president of all apparel, women's apparel for both countries. Um, and so, you know, I was spending, as I think I've alluded to, I was probably the most senior person 
um, living in Canada at Hudson's Bay, although I reported to a president who was running both. And we were going through this um, transformation where we were actually bringing more and more of our structure together, uh, creating more synergies, creating centers of excellence, uh, taking cost out. Uh, and so we had spent weeks developing this program. And I had actually, I was in New York and uh, to sort of sign off on the final organizational charts and, and uh, timing of what we were going to be doing. And I flew home the next morning and I don't, I don't think I've ever done that. I always flew out the night before because I want to be home for my kids and whatever. But for whatever reason, I decided to take the early morning flight. And when I landed, I had like three messages when I turned my data back on from the head office. And it was HR, the head of HR. And I thought, okay, well, this is it. I've done all the restructuring and now it's my turn. I'm out. And um, I phoned and uh, they said, you know, uh, get back to the office and call us. We want to talk to you. This, our, the CEO wants to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh boy, the CEO wants to fire me. That's pretty incredible. Uh, <laughs> They're really bringing in the big guns. <laughs> They're bringing in the big guys to get me out. And um, no, and then I called in and uh, at the time, the CEO, he said, look, we've made uh, some decisions about uh, the organizational structure and we've actually decided that we're going to separate the two banners. And, um, we're going to make you president of Hudson's Bay. Oh and I was like, wow, that's a long way from being fired. Isn't it? <laughs> I have like, so, I feel like my heart's racing you telling the story. I can only <laughs> imagine how you felt. Like I have goosebumps listening. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. What a moment. You think you're about to be fired and then you're yeah. the biggest opportunity of your lifetime. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty surreal. Um, and then the next couple of weeks was a bit of a blur. I mean, we weren't, you know, clearly a public company. We couldn't really talk about it at the time, but I had a couple of interviews with some of the board members and, um, you know, and, and got my, you know, the announcements together and whatever. And then we uh, pulled the organization. And I have to say, I was really proud. It was a proud moment for me having grown up in Christmas Bay, but also for the teams in Canada. They were super excited to have a, you know, a Canadian president and, you know, somebody who knew them, knew the organization, knew the culture, had grown up basically uh, in the organization. So it was a pretty exciting time. For sure. That's amazing. What would you say is one of the parts of the culture that you really shaped or you really made sure existed in the culture that was super important to you? Um, when I first, even in my early days when I joined, um, I was one, I mean, on the positive side, I was blown away by this energy that was at Hudson's Bay, always was. They were real go-getters, you know, really um, test and learn and do things that were exciting. And I felt, you know, um, that they had vision to do a lot of those things. But it was also very much um, a command and control kind of environment where, you know, hierarchical and management made decisions and then everybody marched in line. And the other thing was they, they were fast and tactical, but they weren't very strategic. So you move into an organization where, you know, they haven't had to really uh, spend a lot of time working on strategy and bringing people under the tent and into the vision. They were just, they were doers. Um, and so I think for me, uh, shaping the culture with all of my, obviously, partners over the years, various presidents and numbers of CEOs, um, creating a culture that was more about 
um, you know, ownership from every level. You can have impact on a business. Don't wait to be told what to do. Be an owner operator at every level um, and also creating team culture. I'm a big believer in team. I mean, if, if there's nothing else, you know, getting those people on your team to, to have the same objectives and the same vision and, and alignment is critical. You can have all the vision and strategy you want, but if you don't want every person aligned to where you're going, that, that last wheel on the bus wobbling uh, doesn't get you there so fast. So um, I would say that was probably my impact is really just, you know, being an inclusive leader, somebody who really believed that whether you're on the front lines as a sales associate, you had a point of view because you're talking to the customer every day all the way up to president. Um, and I think that stands today at Hudson's Bay. I think that's really part of uh, the exciting and, and great culture that's there now. That's amazing. The impact that you had for sure. And now my last question, cause I know mm -hmm. uh, you've been so generous with your time today. So my last question is, do you know, what has it been like since stepping down? You stepped down, what was it uh, last year? Early yeah, last just a little year? over a year. Mm -hmm. So what has it been like? What are you working on now? What's next for Allison? <laughs> well, you know, uh, a big part of the, the first few months was to be able to really refocus and reboot. So I have to admit, I didn't do too much. Um, and I'll also admit that it wasn't as easy as I thought. Um, you know, you've, you're in the exciting moments of, boy, for the first time in 30 years, I don't have to wake up and run to work. And I can, you know, all those things that I thought I wanted to do, you know, listen to podcasts. And, <laughs> and you know, um, and then all of a sudden, I realized your brain does not turn off just because you told it to. That, that 20 years of racing and thinking, it was who I, the chaos that I talked about, uh, that was still there. And my body was slowing down and I was having this great opportunity to rest, but my brain didn't. And so that, that was a hard transition, harder than I thought. Um, and so now, you know, I was able to get myself to a place where I thought about what I wanted to do. Was it something different? Did I want to apply my skills maybe in a different uh, sector of business? Um, but I've come, I think, full circle and realized, you know, I, it's in my blood. I'm passionate about retail, um, wholesale, whatever that is, touching the consumer. Um, and so that's what I'd like to do. I think something where I can use my, you know, strategic abilities, uh, my love of team and transformation and building, you know, um, you know, building out those blueprints of success for businesses. I just love that. So that's what I'm, I'm doing now. I'm networking finally and uh, talking to people. Um, and it's a pretty, you know, crazy time with, you know, what's happening in retail. But I think on the bright side of that with the pandemic and, and you know, we can all focus on, on the unfortunate part of it. But I think the silver lining is that organizations are really going to have to step back and think about the, the next future and, and the new normal and what's going to be different. And uh, I think that's where a lot of my talents lie. So I'm hoping, you know, to find something where I can help in that vein. That's wonderful. Well, we wish you the best of luck on that journey. And I hope that, uh, I hope you find something, but there's no question with, uh, with what we've learned about you on this call, you're definitely going to find the perfect thing. That's your next uh, step. And what I think really stands out for me in, in speaking with you and learning so much more about you is that you've, you've been following a passion and you've been following something that really spoke to you so early on. 
and you doesn't seem like you ever really forced anything or you did something because you thought you had to or it was the right position to do or it was the right thing. I mean, I'm sure you had those tough times or you did things you didn't want to do, but at the core of it, you were following a passion. Um, and I just hope that our listeners hear that and understand that your success really came from being authentic in your own journey and knowing what you wanted. Um, and, and that's what I really love about your story. Well, thank you, Haley. I think uh, I think you sort of nailed it. And, and, and it's not that there's anything wrong with having vision boards and, and timelines and goals, but there's also nothing wrong with, you know, really living in the moment and loving and being passionate and making sure that everyone sees that uh, who, who is around you. And, um, and, you know, I would say just make sure that you're always whatever industry you're in, you know, you should be looking for innovation everywhere looking to be inspired everywhere outside of just where you are and i think um not a lot of people do that and uh and i think that will help you just making sure that you're just living life and looking everywhere for inspiration and uh and bringing that back to whatever role you're in um it's not that hard to stand out i guess is the message i'd leave for your listeners with it really isn't do the hard work um, I tell that to my kids all the time. It's not that hard to stand out if you're the one prepared to do the hard work. So I, uh, wishing I everyone great success. Thank you so much, Allison. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit subscribe and leave me a quick rating and review because good energy is contagious. If you want to say hello, you can always contact me at neonpeak.ca. And remember, to hit your peak performance, you got to wake up, kick ass, and repeat. You got this.